the fisher of men. Who's the greatest fisher of men? That's Jesus. So that's our focus this morning. Jesus, the fisher of men. And I invite you to turn with me to Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. Luke 5, 1 through 11. And let's just go back a couple of verses as well. We'll read um, chapter 4, 42, 43, and 44. So now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him, came to him, tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I've been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. And then in the next chapter, we see Jesus preaching outdoors. Sometimes that happens. People preach outdoors and you gather a crowd. And this is one of the first instances where we see that. But there's a very important lesson in that too. Because remember, he goes into a boat. So verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5. 5, 1 through 11. So it was when the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the same as the Sea of Galilee, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put it out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with them were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all, and followed him. So, if I were going to focus on something in this passage, it would be verse uh, 4, where you see Jesus' command. And it's really the command to the church today. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets in for it. Let, let down your nets for a catch. Ever gone fishing? I have a long time ago. I think some of us may be familiar with fishing. You have to have a lot of patience. And if you go fishing, sometimes you will see someone with a rod. Right? You cast out a line, and on the end of the line, there's a hook. That's one of the ways that people will go fishing. 
and you have to be patient. You wait and wait, often wait for a catch. But sometimes it happens pretty quickly. Other means that people use is like a, a hand net with a little stick on the end. You can put it also into the, into the water. You'll catch probably more than one fish, but maybe two or three fish with a hand net. But the other way of fishing, and that was the way of fishing in Jesus' day, the most common way, is what we see in Luke 5, was to cast out a big net. It was a huge net. They would cast it over, from the, over the water from the boat, and then they would just gather it in. And in this way, you would bring in many, many, many fish. Here in Luke 5, Jesus calls his disciples, who were fishermen, they were catching fish, and he calls them to be fisher of men. Okay, they're to catch men with the gospel. This means bringing sinners into the kingdom through the good news of salvation. But who's the one who brings them in? Not we, ultimately. It's Jesus. It's the Christ who brings them in. And notice here, what a point to bring this in now, because he's in the sea. The sea represents the Gentiles, the sea of the Gentiles. And Jesus has envisioned before him, he's going to lay down his life for his sheep. And who are his sheep? His sheep are people from all the nations. Not everybody, but his sheep are those whom the Father has given to him. And all those whom the Father has given to him, he's going to bring in from the day of Pentecost until the day of his return. And that's the vision that we need to have as we see Jesus uh, bringing the instruction to the disciples. It's not just for then and then, for that moment, but from the time of Pentecost to the time of his return. The seas often represent the Gentiles in the Old Testament, and the boat here, you could say, represents the church in some ways. He's gathering them in into the boat. Okay, so the sea of the Gentiles his elect ones. Remember what Jesus said in John 10? He said in John 10, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring in, and they will hear my voice. So it's very, very clearly, it's the elect, it's those whom God has chosen from all eternity that he's given to Christ to die for. He's going to bring every one of those sheep in. Anyway, it's with that in mind that we say the one who brings them in is Jesus himself. He is the fisherman, right? Or the, the fisher of men. And the central point here is not we are fishermen. The central point and the focus here is on Christ himself gathering disciples into his kingdom. And what we see here is he reveals himself as the fisher of men, and he does so in three ways, before the pressing crowds. He does so before the pressing crowds. And second, in his marvelous sign, is an awe-filled sign. And third, for his glorious kingdom. You know, at the end of Luke 4, Jesus, there was having the crowd running after him. And he reminds the crowd that I've come to preach, to preach the good news of the gospel. The kingdom is at hand, as Mark 1 would say, repent and believe. 
and the gospel. As for that very purpose that Jesus was sent. And that's what people really need, isn't it? People need to hear the teaching. People need to hear the preaching. People need to hear the word of God, not just opinions. You hear a lot of people giving their opinions today. You see that also. You know, uh, I lost my place here. But anyway, a lot of people give, want to give their opinions. But people get tired of hearing opinions. And people in Jesus' day, these scribes are going blah, 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 giving their opinions, giving their quotes from their church fathers and so on. And they found Jesus to be someone refreshing because he was preaching himself. He was preaching the word of God. There was none of this, this one says and that one says, but Jesus himself, I myself say. He was preaching the word of God. That's the first thing. The preaching is central. I think we should say something else here. Miracles are not what Jesus uses to bring people into the kingdom. It's the preaching Jesus uses to bring people into the kingdom. Miracles, they have a function this way. They confirm the word of God. They confirm the word of God. They're signs. They're signs okay, that confirm the word of God. They were not central to Jesus' ministry. Right? The word, the preaching of the word was. And often he would confirm what he said by, by doing miracles by performing signs and wonders. Okay, his miracles confirm the word of his kingdom. He's the one, all his miracles show that he's the one who heals the brokenhearted. We saw that in chapter four, didn't we? He's the one who sets free those who are oppressed. He's the one who proclaims freedom to the captives. He's the one who gives sight to the blind. You know, we talk about preaching. Miracles are not a means of grace. Okay? They're wonderful things, and they show and they confirm the authority of the Son of God that he truly is who he says he is. But the means of grace is the preaching of the word. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about how, how is it that the water from Lake Ontario comes to your house? Well, there's pipes, and your pipes connect to your house, and you turn on the tap, and the water comes. It's the same thing with God's grace, right? God's grace is kind of like, it comes from him, but he uses means to get his grace to us. And the main means, the primary means he brings his grace to us is just simply through the word of God. It's through the word of God that the Holy Spirit creates faith in our hearts. <laughs> and that's what Jesus is doing here. And notice the crowds. They, we find them walking. We... we, we well, let me just back up a bit. Luke 5, we find Jesus walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Here is called the, the Lake of Gennesaret, early in the morning. So you can imagine Jesus going for his stroll. He's going for his walk. He lives in Capernaum. Capernaum is right at the seashore. He's going for his walk. His disciples there were there at sea all night, uh, kept trying to catch fish. So perhaps he was visiting them as well. But the view is absolutely pristine. Beautiful. You talk about a beautiful vacation spot then. The sun rising, the mists of the air, you know, dissipating. And, you know, there was a, a small lake nestled within the mountain ranges. And here, of course, his disciples, Jesus, or Peter, Andrew, James, and John are also at sea. And we read there that they've been fishing all night. 
but have caught nothing. Who else is there? The multitudes. They gradually come. The multitudes, crowds and crowds of people. They're also hugging the shoreline. Why? To enjoy the beach for the day, right? Sunbathe, no. This is amazing. They come to the beach to hear the word of God. You see that you see that you see the you see Christ by Spirit just drawing the people. They come to hear the word of God. Jesus is the word, the word of life, the word of God. Look at verse one. So it was as the multitudes pressed about him to do what? To hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Picture the scene. You know, there's such an eagerness to hear him. It's kind of like going to the uh, to Roger Stadium downtown. You, you see crowds just sort of jostling, trying to get to the front and get to their seat. But here it's on the beach. The crowds are straining forward to see him. They can't quite see him, so they keep on walking forward. And eventually they're pressing against Jesus himself, his body, bumping into him. How is Jesus supposed to speak? Because they're all so eager. And you have the short ones, shorter people. They can't see him, so they're kind of get through it, get, get, get in between, and they're trying to stand in the very front. So you have these crowds just pressing. There's that word. Pressing about him. They're, they're touching him. And Jesus is backing up, and eventually, you know, his heels have to go into the water. Jesus has only one option now, because the crowds are eager to hear what he has to say. He's got the words of life. He's the one who heals the brokenhearted, who sets free to those who are enslaved. They need him. They hear him. And Jesus can only do one thing, is that move out into the water, and he sees an empty boat. He sees actually two empty boats standing by the lake, verses 2 and 3. And you notice here that the fishermen who've been fishing from those boats all night, they've already gone out, they've been awake all night. How much fish did they catch? Zero. No fish. And now they're just taking their nets, and they're busy washing them in the water, cleaning them. The boats are empty at that point. And what does Jesus do? He, uh, he sees one of the boats. One of those boats belongs to Simon, a Simon Peter. And he asks Simon to go with him so that they can go into the water a little ways. Just push the boat a little way further. Because notice, by pushing the boat a little way further, then you can have everybody see you. <laughs> right? You see the practical wisdom of Jesus. He backs up. And now everyone can see him, young and old, probably sitting, sitting on the beach now, just eager, their ears wide open to listen to the words of Jesus. And you need no mic. Not that they had mics in those days, but the voice would just project because the acoustics would be something beautiful. So Jesus could just speak probably at a normal level, and the voice would just carry into the ears and hopefully into the hearts of the people. He sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Most people say, well, that's not exciting. That's not entertaining. 
teaching, just teaching. Ah, but that's the way. Jesus, that's why he was, that's why he came to teach and to preach. Where was the pulpit? In the boat. He was sitting. Sitting was a position of authority. Remember he sat in the synagogues? Now he sat and now he speaks with authority from the boat. All could see him. And now Jesus, the fisher of men, is what? He's casting forth. Think of the image of the net. He's bringing forth the gospel net from the boat into the crowds. There's a reason why he goes into the boat. Because it's a powerful image, not only for the disciples, but even the crowd see. Oh yeah, he's casting out his net among us. It's not a catch unto death like in regular fishing, right? You catch a fish, it dies, you eat it. This is a different kind of catching. You catch men unto life, bringing the dead to life. It's a different kind of catching altogether. All who believe in him will live. But notice this. Not all believe, not all in the crowds will believe, but all who are his sheep, some of his sheep were not yet believing, all who are his sheep, they will believe, most certainly. And this is the confidence that we have in the gospel, that when we send the gospel out there, those who are his sheep, they will come to faith. No heart is so hard that Christ can't change it. And he will change the hearts of his sheep. He will bring them into his fold. Those sheep among the crowds, he will bring them into his fold. Look at John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me, says Jesus, will come to me. Not might, not hopefully. Yeah, but you know what? His heart is so hard. Yeah, but that person's a sheep. He will come to Jesus. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Wow. In the boat, capture the image. Jesus is casting his gospel net. And there's a wide net because it's a huge crowd. And he's just throwing it over. Everyone is hearing. Everyone's listening. But who will, in whose hearts will the Spirit work? In those who belong to him. Those whom the Father has given to him. Those for whom Jesus died. They're the ones who will die. Those are the ones that will come to him in faith. He's casting out the gospel net. Wow. Jesus reveals himself as the fisher of men from the boat, casting out his net, a gospel net. And it's in that context that you see his sign. Okay? You see the sign that confirms his word. You see that in verses 4 through 10. Simon is with Jesus in the boat, and probably Andrew too, even though Andrew's name is not mentioned. Simon and Andrew would often go fishing together. Peter and John are, sorry, James and John are in the other boat. So here, after Jesus is done speaking, he says to Simon to uh, push the boat a little further back. Bring it out into the deep water now, because he's done speaking now. And then he says something to Simon in verse 4. It's one of his... Two commands in this chapter. One is, of course, fear not, that's a little later. But these commands really stand out. He says to Peter, commands Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. 
Now, this man who speaks with authority, it's not a suggestion. Oh, maybe, Peter, maybe you should try. You, you know, you were hopeless at this all night. Maybe you should try to go into the deep and find something. No, no, no. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He has a purpose. He has a plan. He says, launch out. Let down. It's a command. Strange. Isn't it strange that this Jesus, the son of a carpenter, would tell experienced fishermen how to fish? It's kind of like me saying to an experienced trucker how to drive a trike, how to drive a truck on the highway through a snowstorm. I mean, who are who am I to tell a trucker who's so experienced to drive how to drive on a highway through a snowstorm? Well, who's Jesus to tell these experienced fishermen? How to fish. Because after all, after all, Jesus is commanding Simon to catch fish in the wrong place <laughs> and in the wrong time, in an unlikely time. Fishermen would apparently fish in the shallower waters, not in the deep waters. And they would fish at night, like you see here, because that's when the catch was the greatest. Broad daylight, not, especially in the, in, the, in the sunshine, they would not fish. And as first Simon protests, he says, Master, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. So they labored, they toiled and worked hard and for naught. You ever feel that way? You work, work, work. You know, even here, God had a purpose, had a purpose for why this was happening in the lives of the disciples. But he had a greater thing in mind, his grace. His greater purpose was that they would come to know his grace in an even richer and fuller way. You know, none of this is dependent upon us. It's all dependent on the Lord. You notice what Simon says. He says, well, if you say so, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. <laughs> What's that? At your word. I mean, there's grace there. How is it that Peter submits to the word of Christ? The natural heart would never want to submit to the word of Christ on its own. But you see the grace of Christ working now in the heart of Peter submitting to the word of God's grace willingly. You think about our sinful nature. The sinful nature of man is to, is inclined, right? Is inclined to say no to the word of God. Don't tell me what to do. A child easily says to the parent, don't tell me, or thinks in his heart, I don't want to hear that or maybe a member to an elder. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to obey. And so you see here the incredible grace of God, how he works in Peter's heart to yield his heart, the experienced fisherman to say, at your word, at your word, I will let down the net. One thing is sure, and know this, obeying the word is always the right thing to do. Even when things even though it doesn't seem like it's the right thing to do at the time, yeah, but you have to understand my circumstances, people say, or this or this. 
But it doesn't take away from the fact that obeying the word is always the right thing to do. God is working in us so that we may experience and grow and understand and see more and more of the richness of his grace. Sometimes in the, in the deepest valleys that we are in. Look at the, the valleys the disciples were in. They hadn't caught anything all night. And yet, Peter obeys. Verses 6 and 7. They let down the net. What happens? Unexpectedly. They catch so many fish. So many fish that what happens to the nets? They start breaking. I mean, not breaking so wide that the fish start falling out, but just, you can start hearing a snap, 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 snap. The threads, the strings start pulling apart. And then at a moment's notice, because they couldn't lift the nets out of the water, the other boat was probably far away. They probably didn't, they didn't shout. It says there they signal, so they probably motioned them, Peter and John. Oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, James and John, come! They didn't yell it, but motioning them to come, signaling them to come. They needed help. They needed them to come and help. They come and help. There were so many fish. How many fish were there? Too many to count. One thing is, for sure, it filled both boats. <laughs> so the one net was over one boat. There was enough in, fish in there to fill the first boat, Simon's boat. And then... The other boat, so full that this boat started sinking under the water. I mean, you talk about an abundance of fish. But Peter, by the grace of God, saw more. He saw in here a sign, a miracle. It was more than just food on the table, these fish. It was more than just a, a business success. It's a sign. And Peter, by the grace of God, sees it. He sees a sign. He sees more. You know how he humbles himself by the grace of God to hear the word? He obeys the word. And now he experienced something of the awesomeness of what he saw. What did he see? He now begins to experience and begins to see the awesomeness of the Holy Son of God, the Lord Jesus himself. Notice what he says in verse 8. When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The word O Lord here is a saying that's used in the Old Testament for God. He begins to see that the presence of God himself is among him in the person and work of Jesus Christ. His response really reminds us of Isaiah. Isaiah, when he saw the glory of God in the temple. Remember Isaiah's response when he saw the glory of God in the temple? Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? For my eyes have seen the glory, my, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, it's so important that we understand and see something of the holiness of God. Because it's only by seeing something of the holiness of God, His majesty, that we begin to see, wow, I'm not worthy. Look, 
you begin to realize your own sinfulness, the depths of your sinfulness. So, so important that, that as, as Peter faced here, as Simon faced here, that we also experience something of this because it's only by this that we come to know the grace of God. So many today you know, are offended when God confronts them through his word and they're reminded of their sinfulness. People walk away. They said, this is not happy. But whoever, sinned, whoever said confronting sin is a happy thing, it's a good thing. It's the grace of God that we come to see our own sinfulness, but we can only see our own sinfulness when we see something of the holiness of God. That was Peter here. He saw something of the majesty of Christ, the, the, um, the presence of God in Christ because he himself is God. Humbling, humbling, humbling. Like the prophet Isaiah, Simon is brought to see his own unworthiness in contrast to God's greatness and holiness. Notice his words, depart from me. That was his only words. Depart from me. You know, sometimes we see our own sin. We say, well, look how bad I am. And you feel so much shame. Well, think of Peter or Simon. He was even at a lower level. Having seen the, the holiness of God, he's, he could only give, say one thing, depart from me, move away from me, Lord. Wow, this is Simon's request. But you know what's so amazing here? <laughs> this is one of those things you say, as one person writes, you know, it's such a comfort when Jesus sometimes rejects prayer requests. You know, Simon prays, depart from me. But Jesus rejects that request. As a matter of fact, he comes to Peter and says, fear not. You see the wonder of the Lord's love and his grace that he does not give Simon his request. Jesus doesn't depart. He says, do not be afraid, Simon. Do not be afraid. Why? Because he, the fisher of men, came into a world to sacrifice himself for our sins on the cross so that we need not fear. You see his holiness, our sin in Adam, never mind our own everyday sins, but our sin in Adam is so odious, so heinous, so stinky, so terrible, it requires nothing less than the death of Christ on the cross. The Christ, who's the Holy One of God. That's what it requires, the cross. That's how odious sin is inside of God. The cross bears the proof of that. And at the same time, you see the depth of God's love. And you see it here, you know, the abundance of fish. All those who are the elect of God, the chosen of God, whom God has given whom the Father has given to the Son, all those from Pentecost all the way till his return, boats and boats filled, filled with fish. And that is the gift of God's grace that comes to us through the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. 
Christ himself who shed his blood for us. It's for all who repent of their sins and believe in him. Amazing that he would take sinners who would say, depart from me. And he says, but I did the work. At my cost, you belong to me. Forgiven, adopted. Do not fear. There's a call to faith in Christ. God's grace. How close is God's grace? God's grace is as near to us as it is in Christ. His grace is near in Jesus. You could say he is the lightning rod of God so that we are not consumed by the wrath of God, by the fires of God. Simon, have faith in me. Yes, you're not worthy. I'm worthy. You trust on me. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. You notice here, that's the Lord who chooses in his time, in his place. From Pentecost to the time of his return, he has a sheep in every place, sometimes in the strangest of places, in places we uh, don't expect, and in times we don't expect. He knows where they are. Jesus knows where they are, and he knows who they are. He made them. He's sovereign Lord, and he not only knows them to be in a certain place, but he directs them to that place at a certain time. Think of, it's very possible that the chosen in this neighborhood, right, he may bring here, right, through the, through the word of God. He's the one who directs. He's the one who brings in, into the kingdom. He's the one who brings into the ship, the church, the ark, in the seas, among the Gentiles. And that brings us to our final point. You see Jesus revealing himself, not only in this awesome sign, but he does so for the glory of his kingdom. Jesus didn't depart from Simon. Instead, he says, Simon, and he says to us, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you for the catching of men. Verses 10 and 11. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boots, the boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. The sense here with catching of men is you're catching men for life, for eternal life, to bring them into Christ's eternal kingdom. You see two things here, and then we'll close. We see two things here in casting forth the gospel net today, from the time that Christ ascended into heaven, Pentecost, until the time of his return. You see unexpected power. You know the, the, the gospel has its own power in the lives of people. It's God who brings in to his kingdom. It's God who brings into the boat. And you see another thing, sacrificial service in the kingdom. Follow me, forsaking all, following him. Those two things, briefly, let's look at them. First, the unexpected power in his kingdom. Jesus says, you will catch men. He's saying that to the disciples here. And of course, we know Pentecost, how many? 3,000, 5,000 men were, people were brought into the kingdom. 
you will catch men with the gospel. That's his promise. He will send them out into the world. He will send them out among the sea of the Gentiles. We may be discouraged by things going on in the world around us today. And sometimes we become afraid. We become doubtful. And yet, the call remains to the church today. You know, sometimes it feels like so laborious, so toilsome. There's nothing. And yet the call is, launch out. Launch out into the deep. Let your nets down for a catch. Remember, God would say to his church today, it's my work, God says, not ultimately yours. It's I who bring them in. You be faithful to your task. You live as believers in my kingdom. You continue to obey my word. And yet, and share it. I will do my work. I will bring them in. After all, it's only the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that alone that has the power to change hearts and lives. You know, we see here so much about crime on the streets. We hear about so many evil things in our world. It just goes to show the hardness of the human heart bent on doing evil and evil only all the time. The only power that can change it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Too many times it's so unexpected, but it is the reality. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change lives. Believing on him, the one who, through his finished sacrifice on the cross, right, gives us his spirit so that we too may believe and experience that new life in him. The law cannot change things in our country today. Give an example, gun control laws is not going to change the crime scene in the streets. There's only one thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep that catch of fish before your eyes. Be faithful, continue to serve. Be faithful to him. Obey his word. Keep the catch of fish before your eyes. It's not dependent on us, but it's dependent upon the grace of God and how great his grace is. Think about yourself, myself. Are we not examples of living examples of God's grace? Amazing. <laughs> he even caught you <laughs> and me. Like, think where we once were. Knowing that in, in a world of rebellion and hatred and self-service, and God took us out of that in his grace. He caught us. He brought us into his net. And he brings us into his ship on the sea. That's the first step. The power of the gospel. Unexpected power. The second thing is sacrificial service. Notice what he said to the disciples. They forsook all and followed him. That's also a proof of God's grace. Forsaking all and following Jesus. What did the disciples do? They left the fish. They left their boats. They left their business. They left their home. 
to follow Jesus. What's the difference between them and us today? Well, there's a difference, no doubt, because God called them to be fishers of men. Not everyone is called to be a fisher of men, preachers or missionaries, right? Uh, in, in an official sense of the word. That's why they left their fishing business. But it does apply to all believers in one sense. How? In this way. All our businesses, your business, your home, your money, everything that you own is now transformed into service to King Jesus. It's all for him. It's all in service to him. That's the difference. We forsake all. We're willing to forsake anything and everything for the sake of Christ. Even if it means losing my car. Even if it means losing my business. Of course, we, don't, we hope that we don't lose our business. But the point is, it's all in service to Jesus. That's what it means by sacrificial service. This is what it means to follow Jesus, offering our lives with our life, with our all and thanksgiving to him for what he has done for us. That's the greatest thanksgiving offering we can give to him for the life that he purchased for us on the cross. Here, Lord, take me, use me, use my, use my family, use my business, use everything for me, for, 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 for yourself. Again, have this catch of fish before your eyes. May his grace continue to take a hold of us as it did for Peter. Wow. Who are the ones Jesus uses to be fishers of men? People like you and me. People who know themselves to be sinners, who are not deserving of God's grace, and yet they're forgiven by the grace of God in Christ, and they're prepared to sacrifice themselves in order to build his kingdom. And remember, you know, we may be, in ourselves, we are unworthy, but Christ declares us worthy through faith in him. He's the one who's worthy. And it's through faith in Jesus that we are declared, declared worthy. Yes, Jesus uses ordinary fishermen in his kingdom. Launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. Keep that sign of the net before you. And everything that you do, whatever calling God has given you, keep that sign of the net before you. The schemes of the world against the church, they're going to fail. It looks scary today. But all those plans are going to turn into rubbish. They're futile. Psalm 2 reminds us of that. But Christ's kingdom will prevail. There's that promise. Remember in Revelation 7, verses 9 through 10, talk about Christ's return, the abundance, the promise of abundance. It says here in Revelation 7, 9 and 10, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's where it concludes. 
the crowds on the seashore ending up in multitudes and multitudes from people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. Praise be to God. Amen. In response, I sing together 536. 536. Jesus calls us over the tumult. Jesus, Jesus. 